Please open your Bible to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, please feel free to do that. If you didn't bring one, you'll find the book of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 11, verses 20 to 25. Once you've located it, I'll invite you who are able to stand for the reading of God's word. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. For this reason, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Our God and father in heaven. We come now to hear what it is you would say to us through your word. We confess, God, that our ears are dull, our hearts are often hard, and God, we need you to help us to understand what it is that you want to communicate to us. God, please give us ears to hear, hearts that are receptive to what you would say. God, give me clarity of thought words that would be simple and understandable. And I pray that your spirit's power would come and take this message and God use it to transform us into the likeness of your son. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. If you can't sell cars, you won't make it as a car salesman. If you can't throw a football, you're not going to make it as a quarterback. If you can't make people laugh, you're not going to make it as a comedian. If you can't diagnose illness, you're not going to make it as a doctor. In the same way, if we can't bear fruit for God's glory, we won't make it as a church. That's what we're here for. So for the church, there is no more important question than this question. How can we bear fruit for the glory of God? And there's more than one way to answer that question. But this morning, we're going to focus on one specific answer. The church is a community of believers who are enabled to bear fruit for God's glory by praying in faith. That's the message of these verses that we're going to look at this morning. Let me just remind you of the context. We've been studying all the way through the Gospel of Mark. We are now at Passion Week. Passion Week is the last week of Jesus' life on earth leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus came in the first day of the week. You will remember what we call the triumphant entry. 
declaring himself to be king, riding on a donkey, the people singing Hosanna. He comes into Jerusalem. He looks around at the temple and takes note of what's going on there. Then the very next day, he leaves. That, that, uh, that he leaves after he looks at the temple. The very next day, he returns to Jerusalem again. And he curses a fig tree. And then he goes into the temple. And as we saw last week, he chases out all the money changers and the people who are buying and selling animals inside the court of the Gentiles in a place that should be used for worship. They've turned it into somewhat of a flea market. And Jesus chases them all out. He caused quite a disturbance. Now, both of those actions we saw last week, Jesus cursed the fig tree and he chased out the people in the temple who were buying and selling. We talked about how last week, both of these things picture Jesus, uh, it pictures God's judgment on a fruitless and corrupt religious system that took place in the temple. Okay, and we talked about how Jesus is replacing this fruitless religious system with something better. The religion in the temple had become corrupt and was not bearing fruit for the glory of God and Jesus has come to replace it, to do away with it. And this is the heart of what we learn in these verses. The fruitless religious system of the temple is replaced by a community of believers in Jesus who bear fruit for God's glory by praying and faith. Now before I dive into the specific meaning of these verses, there's something I need to point out to you. You'll notice Jesus says several times, he talks to the disciples and he says, I say to you, verse 23, for this reason, verse 24, I say to you, all things that you pray for, I need you to take note that this word you in all of these instances is plural. Why does that mean? That means he's not talking to them individually, but as a group. Now, here's why that's important. Jesus is pointing to the prayers of the community of believers. He's not just talking about a person's private transaction between him and God. Okay. Often when we think about prayer, we think about our own personal private communication with God. But Jesus here is addressing the disciples as a group. In other words, he's thinking not just about your individual prayers, but the prayers of the community of people together. The prayers of the church. And the role that our prayers play as a community of believers in bringing glory to God. So the question, how can we as a community of believers in Jesus do what the temple religion failed to do? Last week we saw the temple religion failed to reflect God's character. They were failed to give and bring fruit for God's glory. How can we do that where the temple religion failed? Well, the answer in this passage is the prayer of faith. By praying in faith. The scripture passage we're looking at this morning shows us three things about the prayer of faith. The first thing I want to show you this morning is this. I want to show you the purpose of the prayer of faith. What is the purpose of praying in faith? 
You'll notice in verse 20, they were passing by in the morning. Okay. They are coming back to Jerusalem after retiring to Bethany. Remember, Bethany is a city about two miles east of Jerusalem. After, at the end of the day, they would go back to Bethany to spend the night. Well, it's the morning after Jesus cleansed the temple. And they're on the way back to Jerusalem again. And it says, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Verse 20. This is the fig tree we talked about last week. You look back in verses 12 through 14. Jesus came to the fig tree. He saw it full of leaves. Should have, should have had fruit on it, but it didn't. So he curses the fig tree. Now the next morning, when they're coming to Jerusalem, they see that same fig tree, and it is withered to the roots. To be withered means to be completely without any moisture or liquid. It had completely dried up from the roots. What does that mean? That means it's not just the leaves and branches that have shriveled up but this tree has withered to its very core that means the tree is dead with no possible recovery if just the branches were withered but the roots were still had moisture then the tree could continue to live but we're to we're to make sure we understand this tree is dead all the way down to the roots no possibility of recovery this is not a coincidence Remember the day before this tree is in full leaf. Surely you understand the tree, no tree goes from being in full leaf to being completely withered to the roots in 24 hours. That doesn't happen. This was the result of Jesus' curse on the fig tree. Verse 21, when Peter saw the fig tree, he remembered what Jesus did and he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. To curse means to invoke divine harm or evil upon someone or something. In other words, Jesus called down God's wrath on this tree and sure enough, it died all the way to the roots almost instantly. Now, I need you to remember something. This is really important. We talked about this last week. The fig tree symbolizes Israel's religion the temple, the religion that's centered in the temple. Their fruitless religion. It's clear because you'll notice we first read about the fig tree in verses 12 through 14. Then we have the cleansing of the temple. Then we come back to the fig tree again in verse 20. It's like a sandwich, right? Mark talks about the fig tree. Then he sees Jesus causing a disturbance in the temple, then he comes back to this fig tree. What he wants us to see is his cursing of this fig tree is to, to tell us that's what's going on in the temple. Jesus is declaring judgment on Israel's fruitless religion. This religious system that revolves around the temple. What he's declaring is that this religion is being permanently abolished. Israel and her temple had failed to bear fruit for God's glory. Let me say it another way. They had failed to reflect the character of God. And what was going on, the religion being practiced in the temple, the character of God was not being displayed, was not being reflected. Now, verse 22. How does Jesus respond 
when Peter says, hey, Lord, this fig tree is withered. Look what Jesus says, verse 22. Have faith in God. Here's the question we have to ask. Remember, this fig tree represents Israel's fruitless temple religion. But what does having faith in God have to do with this fruitless religion? Rather than causing people to bear fruit for God's glory, the religion of the temple was hindering the people from bearing fruit for God's glory. That's why God was doing away with it. Verse 23, notice what it says. Thus I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea. Now what's this about? What is this mountain? We might have a tendency to think it's, it could be any mountain. He's just saying, whoever says to a mountain. But that's not what he says. If you look, he says, whoever says to this mountain. He's talking about a specific mountain. Now what mountain would it be? Let's remember, we find out in verse 20, they're walking on the road back to Jerusalem. If they're walking to Jerusalem from Bethany, what is the mountain they're looking at? It's Mount Moriah. Or what we would know as the Temple Mount. The eastern side of the Temple Mount is what they would have been looking at. So I want you to think about this. Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, the Temple, represents what stood in the way of God's people bearing fruit for his glory. In other words, the temple had actually become an obstacle to the people bearing fruit for the glory of God. The religion that was supposed to cause them to bear fruit for God's glory had actually become what stood in the way of them bearing fruit for God's glory. It had become corrupt and fruitless. So what is he saying when he says, if you have faith in God, you can say to this mountain, the temple, be removed and cast into the sea. Now I want you to listen carefully. This is what he's saying. Faith in God can remove the things that keep people from bearing fruit for God's glory. Faith in God can remove the things that keep people from bearing fruit for God's glory. In other words, when we look to God in faith, it will enable us to do what the religious system of the temple failed to do. They were involved in a religion that kept them from truly glorifying God. Jesus says, but you can glorify God. You can remove the obstacles that would keep you from glorifying God if you will have faith in God. And he goes on specifically to talk about praying in faith. Now, here's what I want you to see. It seems like I'm just spitting out a lot of words, but I'm going somewhere. Jesus is calling his disciples to pray in faith so that they will bear fruit for God's glory. He says, I want you as a community of believers to do what the temple religion has failed to do. I want you to bear fruit for God's glory. I want all the obstacles that would keep you from reflecting God's character to be removed. And the way that happens is when you have faith in God, when you pray in faith. So, what's the purpose of the prayer of faith? 
The purpose of the prayer in faith is not to get whatever you want. Can I say that again? The purpose of the prayer of faith is not to get whatever you want. The purpose of the prayer of faith is to enable you to bear fruit for God's glory. You understand? Listen. You were created as a human being with a purpose. God created human beings to glorify and enjoy Him forever. And what Jesus is saying is the temple has actually become a hindrance to people doing what they were created to do, glorifying God. The religion has actually gotten in the way. It's become an obstacle to people truly bearing fruit for the glory of God, truly glorifying Him. But Jesus says, but you can remove those obstacles so that you can glorify God if you will pray in faith. John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Are you listening? Jesus is telling us the ultimate purpose of prayer is to bring glory to the Father. It's to enable us as a community of God's people and as individual Christians to reflect God's character, to bear fruit for God's glory. That's the purpose of the prayer of faith. The next thing I need to talk about is the conditions for the prayer of faith. Let's say it like this. There are some conditions that must be met if we're going to pray in faith. If we're going to have the kind of faith that really can enable us to glorify God our prayer is going to have to meet some conditions first of all obviously a prayer of faith one condition is well it must be a prayer of faith you must pray in faith verse 23 whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says is going to happen. It will be granted. He believes. He has faith. Now, this is not what has sometimes been referred to name it and claim it. You just say what you want and claim it. If you just believe God's going to give it to you, that is what he's going to do. That is not at all what it means to pray in faith. We've already seen Jesus has already told them the purpose of the prayer of faith is that we'd be enabled to bear fruit for God's glory. What does it mean to pray in faith? I'm going to tell you. It means to pray with confidence in God's power, His purpose, His promise, and His plan. To pray in faith means we pray with confidence in God's power, in His purpose, in His promise, and in His plan. Another way he says it in verse 23 is he said praying in faith means you do not doubt in your heart. James chapter 1 verse 6. He must ask in faith doubting nothing for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord being a double minded man unstable in all his ways. When we pray in faith, that means we're praying. We don't doubt God's power. We don't doubt his purpose. We don't doubt his promises. And we don't doubt his plan. What does it mean to doubt? It means to pause 
or to hold back. It means to hesitate. See, when you pray, but you're hesitant to put absolute confidence in God's power, you're not praying in faith. If you hesitate to put absolute confidence in God's purpose, you're not praying in faith. If you hesitate to put absolute confidence in God's promise or God's plan, you're not really praying in faith. So when we come before God in prayer, we pray with confidence that God's power is infinite, His purpose is good, His promise is sure, and His plan is perfect. I want to say that again. When we pray in faith, we're praying with absolute confidence that God's power is infinite. His purpose is good, His promise is sure, and his plan is perfect. Verse 24 basically repeats the same thought as verse 23. For this reason I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask. I want you to catch that word. He's saying when you pray, you're coming asking some things. The Bible is very specific about how we are supposed to ask if we're truly going to pray in faith, how we ask matters. And the Bible has a lot to say. It tells us how to ask. And I'm going to cover three things the Bible tells us specifically about how to ask. First of all, if we're going to pray in faith, we have to ask in Jesus' name. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So you need to catch this. To pray in faith, clearly we're talking about faith in the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you this? No one but a Christian can pray a prayer of faith. Because the faith in God Jesus is talking about is faith in God through his son. You with me? So first and foremost, to pray in faith means faith that Jesus is who he says he is. We come trusting God through the son. So Jesus says, if you'll pray in my name, I will give you what you desire. Now, this is not a magic formula. You just sometimes we treat praying in Jesus name like these are just words that we tack on the end of a prayer without even thinking about it. We just mindlessly say in Jesus name like that's the amen at the end of the prayer. But that's not what it means. Praying in Jesus name implies that we are praying for things that will honor and glorify him. Praying in Jesus name means to pray for things that will honor and glorify Him. Listen, you can't pray for anything in Jesus' name that will not honor Jesus. In other words, when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying as His representative. We are praying, say, think of it like this, you're praying as Jesus would pray if it were Him praying. So if we're going to, Pray in faith and God's going to enable us to glorify him. We have to pray in faith. We have to pray in Jesus name and we have to pray according to God's will. First John chapter five, verse 14. 
This is the confidence which we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now you listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Prayer is not an attempt to align God's will with ours. Prayer is seeking to align our will with God's will. Prayer is not just us trying to get God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is seeking to get us on the same page as God. Seeking to accomplish what he desires accomplished. Now what does it mean praying according to God's will? It means praying according to God's will as it is revealed in the scripture. Do you know most everything of God's will that we need to know is already revealed in the Bible? How do we know what we ought to pray for as a church? My Lord, it's, the Bible's filled with things that God wants the church to be and do. To pray according to God's will is to pray things revealed in the scripture. Look. Here's something else. Praying according to God's will means praying for things that would not be contrary to God's will as it's revealed in the scripture. In other words, we may be praying for something and we don't know specifically if it's God's will, but we know clearly it's not contrary to God's will. Suppose there is an outreach program we're thinking about doing or we're planning to implement and we're praying to see if this might be something God wants us to do. Well, the Bible doesn't say specifically, I, I want you to open a snowball stand and give away snowballs as a way to witness to people. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us if we ought to do that. But we know doing something like that wouldn't be contrary to God's will. You understand what I'm saying? So praying according to God's will means praying according to his will as it's revealed in the scripture. And it means praying for things that would not be contrary to his will. Things that even though they're not spelled out specifically, they would be consistent with his will. And it also means praying according to God's will also means trusting God to answer our prayers according to his will. You remember Paul prayed three times to have his thorn in the flesh removed? We don't know what it was, but Paul had some kind of affliction God gave him. Paul prayed three times for God to take it away. And no doubt Paul prayed in faith, but God didn't do it. Why? Because it wasn't his will. It was God's will that Paul have that thorn in the flesh because he wanted Paul to experience the power of God in his weakness. So praying according to God's will means trusting that he's going to do what is according to his will. Here's the fourth thing I want to say to you about conditions for praying in faith. The first one is praying in faith. Second is praying in Jesus' name. The third is praying according to God's will. Finally, praying with right motives. The conditions for the prayer of faith, well, we have to pray with right motives. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James tells us you're praying for things and you're not getting them because you're praying with the wrong motives. 
You're not praying for God to be glorified. You're praying to get what you want to gratify your own personal earthly pleasures. Let me give you a couple of examples. Praying for God to provide you a car is fine. Praying for a Ferrari isn't. Praying for God to meet your financial needs is fine. Praying to win the lottery isn't. Praying for God to provide you a husband is fine. Praying for God to give you a GQ model who's a billionaire isn't. Listen, the right motive for prayer is to glorify God, not to indulge self. When you're praying for things that are just to indulge your own personal pleasures, to satisfy your own desires, those are not right motives and that's not a prayer of faith. Look, the purpose of the prayer of faith is to enable you and I as a church to bear fruit for God's glory. So the way we pray should align with that purpose. You with me? The way we pray should align with the purpose for prayer. That we would reflect the glory of God. So when you and I pray with confidence in God's power, His purpose, His promise, His plan, when we truly pray in Jesus' name, when we pray according to God's will, when we pray with right motives, then we are praying in a way that will open the door for God to be glorified in and through our church. Are you with me? When we learn to pray the way He is telling us to pray here, then the door is open for God to do what we ask. You remember the psalm? It says, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's only half of the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I give you a simplified version of that? When you want what God wants, God will give you what you want. When you want what God wants, He'll give you what you want. So we've seen the purpose of the prayer of faith. The purpose of the prayer of faith is to enable us as a community of believers to bear fruit for God's glory, to do what the temple religion had failed to do. We've seen the conditions for the prayer of faith. If we're going to have the kind of prayer that's truly going to move the heart of God and enable us to bear fruit for His glory, we have to pray in faith. In Jesus' name, according to God's will, with right motives. Now I want you to notice finally the hindrance to the prayer of faith. There are some things that will hinder our prayers. And he mentions one specifically here. Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Whenever you stand praying... A common posture for prayer in the Bible was standing. They would stand in the temple with their arm raised. That was a common posture for prayer. During the 
daily times of prayer, that's often the way the people would pray. They would stand and have their arms lifted. He said, so when you come to pray and you're standing there praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. And this verb, forgive, it has the sense of keep on forgiving. It's, it's present tense, which means it's an ongoing action. It's not something you have to do one time, but you keep forgiving. You, you be the person who continually forgives. What does it mean to forgive? Well, to stop blaming someone. To pardon someone. You know what the word literally means? The word literally means to let go or leave behind. Someone's done something to offend you. You let it go. You put it behind you. Which means you don't spend the rest of your life constantly bringing up what they did. You remember that. You remember that. Listen, if you still remind something of someone of something they did to hurt you, you have not forgiven them. Are you listening to me? Until you let it go and put it behind you, you've not forgiven Jesus says, if you're going to pray in faith, then you can't hold grudges. And the implication here is, if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. And the Bible says exactly that in Matthew 6.15. If you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. Now what does this mean? What kind of forgiveness are we talking about? I need to tell you, this is not eternal forgiveness that comes with salvation. This does not mean if you're a Christian and you're born again, you've truly been forgiven and filled with the Spirit of God. This doesn't mean if you fail to forgive someone who hurts you that all of a sudden your sins aren't forgiven anymore and you're going to die and go to hell. It's not what it means. This is what we might call relational forgiveness. Let me give you a scripture. John 13 verse 10. It'll help us to understand the kind of forgiveness we're talking about. You, you remember in John 13, that's where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. In verse 10, Jesus said to Peter, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Here's what's going on. Jesus puts on a towel, takes up a wash basin, and he's going to wash the feet of his disciples. Well, this is a task that's reserved for the lowliest slave in society. And Peter says, you can't wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Peter said, well, if that's the case, then don't just wash my feet, but wash all of them, my head and all. What did Jesus say? He who is clean, forgiven, only needs to wash his feet. In other words, you just need the day-to-day -day cleansing for the sins that compile in your life. Now what's that about? Here's the thing. You and I have been forgiven of our sins. Past, present, and future. Amen? Amen. By Jesus' death on the cross. The eternal consequences of your sin have been removed by Jesus. But, in this life we still sin. And that sin results in an interruption of our fellowship with God. It doesn't cause us to lose our salvation, but it causes an interruption in our fellowship with God. Let me tell you what I mean. When you have sin in your life that you haven't dealt with, it interrupts that sense of closeness you have with God. How many of you know 
that when you're not living right, when you've got sin in your life, you don't feel as close to God as you used to. It interrupts your experience of God's joy and peace. You don't experience the peace of God in your life. You don't experience the joy of God in your life like you used to when you're living with sin in your life. Your enjoyment of God through His Word is not the same. You don't understand it as well. You don't enjoy the time you spend in the Scripture when there's sin in your life. Listen, your fellowship, your ability to feel close to God and enjoy God is interrupted when there's sin in your life. And here's what Jesus is telling us here. That hinders your prayers. When you hold on to grudges and you refuse to forgive. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear my prayer. Listen, let me explain to you like this. In the Bible, you are commanded to forgive. You understand? If you fail to do what God commands, what is that? Sin. If you fail to forgive, you are committing sin against God and sin in your life that is unconfessed and not dealt with hinders your prayers. Listen, the prayer of faith is a prayer that enables us to bear fruit for God's glory. But let me tell you this, you can't bear fruit for the glory of God if you have a heart of unforgiveness. But, when you freely and willingly forgive, your fellowship with God remains close and the prayer of faith is heard and answered. Oh, listen, when you have a heart that's right with God and you, you freely forgive those who sin against you, God hears those prayers and He will enable us to glorify Him. Listen, don't let bitterness and unforgiveness be an obstacle to your prayers for this church. Forgive early and often. Forgive early. That means as soon as somebody sins against you, as soon as somebody does you wrong, you make a determination to forgive quickly, instantly, and do it often. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. He says you forgive each other the same way Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus has forgiven you absolutely and completely and totally. What is Jesus trying to say to us in these verses we're studying today? The fruitless religious system of the temple is being replaced by a community of believers in Jesus who bear fruit for God's glory by praying in faith. The church is a community of believers who are enabled to bear fruit for God's glory by praying in faith. Now this message is timely. And here's why. Because if you've been paying attention lately, we've been intentionally giving attention to praying specifically for the church. Every Sunday morning at 9.15, we gather right back here to pray for the church. 
on Sunday nights, beginning last Sunday, we're beginning to have a dedicated time of prayer gathered in this altar, praying specifically for the church. On Wednesday night, we spend the entire gathering praying for the church. Every morning except Sunday morning, we are gathering here at the church at 6.30 and prayer walking around this building for about 20 minutes. Every day except Sunday. We've been devoting ourselves to praying for the church. Listen, today, God is showing us how to pray to make those prayers count. Today, God is showing us how we can make prayers for the church to count what should we be praying for. We should be praying that God would enable us to bear fruit for His glory. You wonder what you ought to be praying for when you pray for the church? You pray that in everything we do, God would enable us to bear fruit for His glory. And when we pray, we pray in faith. We pray with confidence that God can and will fulfill His purpose and plan to glorify Himself through this church. Bow your heads.